Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord and to rejoice at the work of God and salvation. And today as we come, we're going to be talking about God's salvation for sinners. And as we begin, I want to begin with a story that some of you may be aware of. Perhaps some of you have seen the film Bridge on the River Kwai. Perhaps you've seen that that telling uh, and retelling of that story of some World War II Scottish soldiers who were under Japanese imprisonment. In the book that, that it tells the backstory of it, Edward Gordon tells in The Miracle on the Kwai about the setting, about what was going on, and how under the strain of captivity, the men in that prison cap had degenerated to barbarous behavior where they were fighting over even scra- little scraps of food all around them. One afternoon, though, something shocking happened. There was something that occurred because each and every morning, those men from the prison camp would be marched out to work on a railroad bed and they would have nothing but shovels to work with all day long to prepare the way that that road was going to go. And as they prepared the roadbed uh, in their work with those shovels, one uh, every afternoon when they would get off and be relieved of their duty, and they would be marched back to the prison camp. And as they were marched back to the prison camp, there would be little checkpoints along the way to count the implements and to make sure that everyone and everything was accounted for. Well, one afternoon as they marched back to the camp, there came an issue because as they arrived at one checkpoint, the counting of the shovels revealed that they were one shovel short and the commanding officer scared to death that this was going to be a shovel that would be used as either an implement of escape or attack upon another officer or upon his soldiers. He said, listen, we've got a problem. We are missing a shovel. Who took it? Of course, what do you think happened? Nothing. There was absolute silence as the soldiers looked. Nobody in the squadron budged. Then the officer began proceeded to take out his gun. And as he drew his gun, he threatened uh, threatened them with the threat of, listen, if the person who took the shovel doesn't step forward, if nobody steps forward, I'm going to kill you all right here. Because of the barbarous nature of those Japanese prison camps, they had no doubt that this was absolutely true. And in that moment, as that threat was made, there was young, one young man who stepped out of the line and stepped forward. Instantly, the officer put away his gun and he picked up a shovel and beat the young man to death. When it was over, the rest of the survivors picked up his body and carried it down the line to the next checkpoint at which they found out as they recounted the shovels that no shovels were missing. That night, every one of the survivors laid their head on the pillow knowing full well with an intensity that they were alive because an innocent man was willing to sacrifice himself for them. That night, There was an intense reality that those men's lives had been spared because an innocent man had stepped forward to take the punishment on behalf of all of them in their place. For Christians, each and every night we lay our heads on the pillow, there should be an intense realization that Jesus Christ, a man who was pure and perfect in every way, against whom no charges, no legitimate charges could have stood, was killed in our place at the cross of Calvary. 
And that Jesus sacrificed Himself so that we might have salvation. Indeed, we ought to remember that. We ought to be controlled. We ought to be gripped by the grace that this holy God has shown to us, His unholy children. We are never to forget the message of God's salvation for sinners of God's gospel. We are never to water it down as a gospel of self-help, as a gospel of good works, a gospel of regular church attendance, or just a mere giving of our earthly possessions. Listen, God's salvation comes to sinners through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, an innocent God-man hung on the cross of Calvary to suffer the penalty for your sins and my sins so that we wouldn't have to pay them. Indeed, the salvation of God comes through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit as He moves us to repentance for our sin and reception of Jesus Christ as the atoning work on our behalf for salvation. Those that were baptized this morning have come to that understanding. They have come to that realization. And this morning we saw outwardly portrayed through the symbol of baptism the work that the blood of Jesus Christ performs within the life of every believer. As we come this morning, we understand that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is how salvation comes. But we also understand that within that context, we need to understand and see our sin, to see God's Savior, and to surrender ourselves fully to Him. God's salvation for sinners is revealed in the Gospel, and perhaps nowhere else in the Bible is there is a concise a summary of the full working and operation of salvation as we find in this passage of Titus chapter 3 verses 3 through 7 and we find there in verses 4 through 7 a succinct description of exactly what the gospel is and how it works and so as we come today and we think upon that that title God's salvation of sinners how does it work is a normal question how does it operate how does it work itself out that a gracious and holy God would take unholy people And make them his own children and receive them into his kingdom. And so this morning, let us look at these passages and these verses in Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. And let us see God's salvation for sinners. And let us ask ourselves this question. Do I know the salvation in my life? Do I know the salvation in my life? personal life let's stand now in honor of the reading of this god's holy and inspired word says in titus chapter 3 verses 3 and following for we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient deceived enslaved to various lusts and pleasures spending our life in malice and envy hateful hating one another but when the kindness of god our savior and his love for mankind appeared he saved us He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, 
We thank you for these words of truth. We thank you that it does it is not based upon us and our work that we are received into your kingdom, but upon the work of Jesus Christ, the sovereign substitute who stood in our place as a perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we might be received into your kingdom. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come today and illuminate these verses, enlighten us as to their meaning, and move our hearts to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you regenerate our hearts and renew our hearts even now through the hearing of your word. Lord, we ask now as always that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage something that we should never get over. We should never get over God's salvation for sinners. We should never get over that moment in time where God stepped into our lives, where He brought us to repentance, where He regenerated us and gave us faith in Jesus Christ. And now He is renewing us day by day. Indeed, I'll never get over that night when Ike Reichard stood in the pulpit of First Baptist Church of Barnesville, Georgia, and he reached out, cried out, and called out and said, Sinner, won't Don't you come and receive Jesus Christ. I'll never get over that moment when I realize the intensity of my sin and the goodness of my God and the fact that He works to save sinners like me. I hope you never get over it as well. In this passage, we see God the Father's love and grace were revealed in Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sins and to make us citizens of His kingdom through the regenerative work of of the Holy Spirit. We see in this passage God's work in salvation. And notice all three persons of the Trinity are present. God the Father loves us and reaches out in grace, reveals Jesus Christ so that He might die in our place, so that we might be redeemed of our sins and made citizens of His kingdom through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all working as one in unison to redeem and to restore lost sinners like you and like me aren't you thankful for that this morning and as we begin we need to begin by breaking down and understanding salvation and as we do so let's begin there in verse three with the question the first question that we ought to ask as we read this passage is who does god save we'll look there in verse three and find out for we also who who does he say we us All of us, we once were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Paul begins this disclosure of the gospel by reminding the people of the great and gracious work of God's gospel and saving them that God is a redeeming God. He is a gracious God. And yet we live in a culture that likes to downplay the human condition of depravity and downplay the reality that each and every one of us need God's help. We tend to look in the mirror and we say, well, I'm a good person. I'm not so bad compared to Betty, Bill and Bubba. I'm not so bad compared to all those people around me. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not really that bad compared to other people. And our churches are filled with those people who would say, I'm not so bad, but the, we're also filled with self-help strategies to make ourselves better, to try to create within us people who are acceptable to God. We tell people when they, when they need Christ, when they're struggling with sin, we say, hey, you know what you need? You need to clean yourself up and come to church. 
No. That's not the gospel. The gospel is to cry out to God that He would clean you up and then because you've been cleaned up and converted that you would then come to church to affiliate with the brothers and sisters in the gospel so that you might increasingly spur one another on to love and good deeds. The message of the gospel is not that you need to clean yourself up and come to church. You need to come to Christ and let Him clean you up. We are tempted to look, also tempted in our churches to look down our noses at others and to act as if they have problems that we never had, as if we never dealt with sin or had any issues with it. But the reality is each and every one of us have had issues with sin. For in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says this, There is none righteous, not even one. How many righteous are there? How many? Okay, there is none righteous, none who understands none who seeks for God all have turned aside together they have become useless there is none who does good not even one therefore Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and, and what fallen short of the glory of God all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, If you've broken one law, you've broken the whole law. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, Listen, even your best deeds, even your righteous deeds, when they are done in and of yourself, are as filthy rags. You and I, in and of ourselves, can do nothing holy, nothing right, and nothing righteous before the living God. In other words, evil is not so much a problem that is out there. It's a problem that's in here. You get that? We were once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our time, life and malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Hey, guys, the problem was never outside of you. It was always inside of you. And the issue really is that we have met enemy and the enemy is us. Indeed, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, Paul's day, and our day all try to clean themselves up and they refuse the gospel. For indeed, Pharisees are those who are proud, puffed up, and pompous individuals that have determined that they're going to earn their acceptance into God's kingdom. They don't see the law as God's tutor to show them their sins so that they can also see God's Savior and surrender to Him. Instead, they put on their suits, they put on their masks, and they come Sunday by Sunday to sit in the services And they look down their noses at all of us without ever experiencing any sadness or sorrow over their own sin. They simply do whatever it takes to get another notch in the belt, to get another check in the box, to make sure that they get the latest recognition from the religious hierarchy. But Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm chief. Who did he come to save? Who? Who was it? And who are you? Who? Sinners. Each and every one of us are sinners by nature and by choice. We are sinners destined for hell. Sinners destined for eternal damnation under the righteous judgment of a just and holy God. And yet God sends Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners among whom we are the chief. God, in spite of our sinful past, has now made plentiful provision at the cross through the person and work of Jesus Christ so that He might redeem you and redeem me from 
our sins. And every now and then, God, by His grace, allows the thin veneer of humanity to be pulled back and for us to see the depths of human depravity. Indeed, the past few weeks, I've seen and looked at and beheld with awe and amazement the depravity of this man, Jerry Sandusky. If you followed the trial, the gripping things that this man did all through an organization that he called the second mile that was supposed to be on a Bible, based off of a Bible verse to walk the second mile, to go the second mile on behalf of Christ. What a sad state our world is in. What a strange place to look around and to realize the sinfulness of man, the depravity of our nature. And the fact is, this week as Olivia and I were in New Orleans, as we walked down through the French Quarter, as we strolled around and went down Canal Street and saw Bourbon Street, as we walked around and saw the filth and the depravity of the human nature, it was very tempting for me to cry out to God and say, God, I am so thankful I'm not like these sinners. And in this moment, this passage hit me in the face. Oh, but for the grace of God, I would be. I would be in the same place doing the same things with the same results. Listen, if it were not for God's grace, there is not one of us who would be righteous. There is not one of us who would seek God or desire God. This is love. Not that we first loved him, but that he loved us and he gave his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. God's salvation is for sinners. Who does God save? He saves sinners. He saves you and he saves me by his grace and for his glory. But the second question comes in verses 4 through 7. How does God save sinners? The bad news is that every person by nature and by choice is a sinner who needs to be saved. But the natural question comes from our peers and they look at us and say, well, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you knew the answer. I thought you could tell me how to fix myself. And the answer I have to give back is no, I can't tell you how to fix yourself, but I can tell you the fix for sinners. I can tell you how to be saved. I can tell you the work of God, but the reality is that before anyone can ever be saved from sin, they must come to know and understand their need for salvation, and they must come to know and understand that salvation is 100% God's work and not man's work, because if it was our work, we would justify ourselves by our righteous work. In God's work of redemption, He deals with our past sins, He deals with our present state, and He deals with our future hope and gives us eternal assurance. And in verse 4, Paul begins with a jarring juxtaposition to our pre-conversion condition. We are in the depths of depravity, but then Almighty God breaks in. Our Creator and our Savior intervenes and He reaches down and He saves us. This is startling because in verse 3, man is the primary actor and man is the primary actor is entirely rebellious rejecting and reviling God at every turn but then in verses 4 through 7 man becomes the beneficiary he does not become the actor he is the recipient and we see in this passage that God initiates for him salvation what man can never do for himself God does for him God takes the initiative steps in and deals with our problems and our issues and our sins But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. 
In the original Greek, these four verses are actually one verse, and I believe that this is for the reason the commentators give, because the early Christian church would have been reciting or singing this passage of Scripture over and over and over again so that they could remind themselves and remember the gospel so that they could always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that abides within them. What could a man do for himself? Nothing. But if you read this passage, it tells you how a sinner could be saved. He begin, we see in this passage that indeed this is the crux of Christianity. For we serve a God that has come to serve us by being a savior for sinners. We are a mess. We are all messed up. We're in the midst of distress. And God has come to our rescue through the redeeming work of his son on the cross. And that's the essence Christianity teaches. God has come to our rescue through Jesus Christ. It teaches conversion through a rescuing relationship with a redeemer named Jesus Christ. No other way. For indeed we are lost. Therefore we must be found. We are enemies of God and we need to be at peace with God. We are enslaved and we need to find freedom. We are saved, therefore, from God's wrath by God's redemption. But the question still stands, how are we saved? Well, first of all, we are saved by God's mercy, His kindness and love. See, the holy King of heaven is kind toward unholy people here in this world. He's kind towards you and towards me. Those who don't obey Him and don't follow Him. Luke chapter 6.35 says this, that God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. God is good and He is kind because He is He is entirely different from you and I. Just like we are not righteous, He is righteous. Just like we are not holy, He is holy. Just like we in and of our nature can be somewhat good, but ultimately are never fully good, He is good. And so He waits patiently for people to respond to Him in repentance and faith. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 teaches that we are to focus on that inherent kindness and that when we do, it will take us to repentance. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. In His love, God did not spare His own Son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is good. God is a loving God. And He reaches out to us in grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The old Dennis the Menace cartoon strip you had one, one issue where it came out and it showed Dennis and Joey walking away from the Wilson's house with hands full of cookies. And as they're walking away, you remember how Dennis and Joey were constantly picking on and poking and prodding Mr. Wilson? They're walking away and both of the boys have hands full of cookies. And Joey turns to Dennis as they walk down the street and he looks at Dennis and he says, Dennis, wonder what we did to deserve this. Dennis looks back, looks back at Joey and says, look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson didn't give us cookies because we're nice, but because she's nice. She didn't give us cookies because we're nice. She gave them to us because she's nice. In the same way, God didn't give us salvation because we're good, because we're kind, because we are lovable. He gave it to us because God is kind, because God is good, and because God is love. 
Secondly, we are saved by God's mercy. Not only are we saved by His love, but we are saved by God's mercy. For indeed, we're in a miserable condition in verse 3. We are foolish. We are disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But then it comes down in verse 5 and says, but in spite of all this, verse 5, and these should be three words that you never get over in your life, He saved us. He saved us. God saved us not because on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. No, He saved us because of His mercy. According to His mercy. You and I are not saved by anything that we do or anything that we could ever do. We are saved by God's grace. Even Paul, who tried to work his way to heaven by his history, by his heritage and his handiwork that he tells us about in Philippians chapter 3, comes back and says, listen, I have come to terms with the fact that all of my righteousness was nothing more than a dung pile, a manure pile. It was scubalon. It was as worthless as manure. Those things I did in and of myself. But then he turns around and he says, in spite of the cesspool of my life, in spite of my sins and my filth, filth I have been an experience, uh, one who has experienced the power of God's forgiveness, of God's renewal and restoration. I have experienced God's mercy and God's grace in my life. I love how Micah 7 verse 8 shows us a picture of God's mercy when it says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but listen to this, but you delight to show mercy. That's the God we serve. A God who is willing to not give us what we duly deserved because of our actions a mother visited napoleon one time and she asked on behalf of her condemned son that the that the ruler set her son free napoleon looked and said listen your son has committed the same crime twice and because of that his guilt implies or his guilt demands death the mother looked and said sire i don't ask for justice only for mercy. Napoleon looked and said to the mother, he said, listen, he doesn't deserve it. The mother said, I know if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Napoleon said, I will pardon your son and I will show him mercy. God in his mercy has pardoned us from what we deserve, eternal death and hell separated from Him and given and in His grace has given us salvation and eternal life. So first of all, we understand that God saves us in His love and in His kindness. And we see secondly that He saves us by His mercy. Thirdly, we are saved by God's Holy Spirit. This is a passage where I believe that Paul is referencing back to Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, when, when, uh, when the promise from the prophet is that God will give a new heart and a new life to those who follow Him. He 
says in verse 25, then I will sprinkle, or verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now listen to the promise in verse 27 and see if it doesn't line up with what we see here in Titus 3. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. I'll take out your heart of stone, your heart of flesh, and I'll put within you my spirit so that he might lead you and guide you. And look at what happens there in verse 5 and following. He says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what is promised in Ezekiel. This does not mean that you have to join, that you've joined a church, you live a relatively moral life, or that you obey portions of scripture such as the Sermon on the Mount. This means that God has done a work in your heart and in your life. I get tired of the news media. I get tired of the culture saying, uh, talking about what the born again Christians will do for Indeed, if anyone is a Christian, he is born again. If he is not born again, he is not a Christian. Understand, the work of God is to regenerate, to give rebirth. And if you are a true Christian, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 3, as he talks to Nicodemus in the dead of night, he says, listen, I tell you the truth. No one can come into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can I be born again? Can I go back into my mother and come out? No, he's not talking about a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual rebirth. You must know and receive Christ and be regenerated from the inside out. We'll all, we'll, we've all been born once physically but in order to enter the kingdom of god we must be born spiritually no matter how religious you and i might be no matter how many good works i might stack up ultimately god's not going to receive me based on that he only receives those who are regenerated by the work of the holy spirit listen if you have been saved your life has been changed and you know exactly what i'm talking about today But if you're sitting there scratching your head and going, you know, I wonder what it's like to be reborn. I don't know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit convict me of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to move me to repent of those sins and to receive by faith Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but I pray that your heart would be sensitive would be willing to hear and to receive the leading of the Holy Spirit in the same way that I did there at First Baptist Church, Barnesville, that night. Listen, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says very plainly, if anyone is in Christ, the old, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. That is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that the Christian must experience and we must desire. In addition to this, there is a renewing. There is a continual washing where we are brought into conformity with Jesus Christ, where our lives are conformed to Christ. That, In other words, not only should I experience justification, and regeneration there at salvation. But now I'm experiencing sanctification day by day, increasingly conformed to the image of Christ so that now I look and live just like my Lord and Savior. Let me ask you, do you know that transformation? Is it ongoing in your life? Are you reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God and being changed and transformed by His grace? Fourthly, we are not only saved by God's Holy Spirit, but by God's Son. 
See, our salvation is possible only by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And that's exactly what he says in verse, verse 6 and 7, that He poured out on us the Holy Spirit richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Indeed, Jesus Christ and His finished work at the cross of Calvary sustains for us the hope of eternal glory. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus Himself says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. God's justice had to be satisfied it had to be completely satisfied and since the penalty for sin is death the wages of sin is death understand he had to deal with it in an appropriate manner and the way that God in his grace dealt with it was to extend his son Jesus Christ so that he might live a perfect life die an atoning death and rise again in glorious victory over sin death and hell and so in that we find the hope that we might be forgiven of our sins and taste new life and eternal life that we might have the hope uh, that we are now sons and daughters of the most high indeed we understand that jesus was delivered over because of our transgressions but he was raised again because of our justification and because he lives i too and every person who has repented of their sins and experienced the regenerating work of the holy spirit lives as well Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. My question for you this morning, how are you trying to get to the Father? How are you trying to get to Him? Through your own work, through your own access, through your own merit, or through the work of Jesus Christ? There's only one way, and it's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. It is through not only God's Son, but through And by God's grace. Indeed, grace is scandalous. Because grace is God's unmerited favor that He gives to those who don't deserve it. For in mercy we find that we don't get what we actually deserve, the right reward of hell. But we actually, in grace, get something else. We get God's kingdom. We get to be sons and daughters, heirs of His glorious kingdom. We get the promise of eternal rest and eternal life. Grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept. It's hard to receive. Because our society says you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and accomplish your own desires. But grace shocks us in what it offers. It is truly not of this world. Grace teaches us that God does for us what we can never do for ourselves. We would not, we would, if we was left up to us, we would save those who are not so bad. But listen, God in the work of redemption revealed in the Bible starts with the prostitutes and works his way down from there. He doesn't save those who aren't so bad. He doesn't save those who have no need of salvation. For the doctor doesn't come to those who are well. He comes to those who are sick. He comes to those who are sick and He redeems us. He saves us by His grace. He comes and He lifts us up and it's a grace that is a gift that costs Him everything and costs us nothing. It is given to those who don't deserve it, who barely recognize it and hardly appreciate it. And that's why God alone gets the glory in our salvation. For in salvation we find that 
We are justified by God's grace. We are being sanctified by God's grace. And ultimately, we will be glorified by God's grace. A new convert was once giving his testimony in a church service. With a smile on his face and joy in his heart, he went on and on and on about all that the Lord had done in his life. He gave God the glory for each and everything that had done. The person in charge of the meeting looked at the young man and he was somewhat flustered because the man kept going on and on about the work of God in his life. And he didn't appreciate the message that salvation it comes to man by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from any human works. And so he looked at the young man as he concluded his remarks and he said you seem to indicate that God did everything when he saved you saved you didn't you do your part before God did his part young man looked back at that one who was leading the meeting and he said oh yes I did For 30 years, I ran away from God as fast as my sin would take me. For 30 years, I ran as far away from God and His grace as I could get. That was my part. But then God and His grace took over and He ran after me. He ran me down. He drew me to Himself. He convicted me of sin. He led me to repentance. He regenerated my heart. And now He's renewing me day by day. That is what my God has done for me. And that is how God saves sinners. God's salvation is for sinners. And you and I, brother and sister, are sinners who need a Savior. God's salvation is extended in His work through Jesus Christ. Will you receive Him today? Will you surrender your heart, your life, your all to the One who has given Himself at the cross of Calvary for you. Father, lead us now. Lead us to repentance. Father, let your Holy Spirit work His work of redemption in each of our hearts and lives. Let Him draw us to repent of our sins, to to receive by faith Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, let Him regenerate our heart each and every moment so that we might be renewed to live lives that show the world that there's hope for sinners because there's hope for us. Lord, lead us and guide us in this time of decision. Draw men and women to Yourself that You might be glorified and that the message of the Gospel might go forward. Lord, lead us now. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you have a decision that you need to share this morning that you want to share in this time, I invite you to come.